0: one but i'm working out i love to listen to your podcast whenever you say something other people react to it taking my breath away aaron fern lundquist joins me hall of famer jim calhoun nascar icon dale earnhardt jr kirk herb street is man. on the phone here, here. we Podcast. it is thursday march 25th 2021 people and let me tell you this right off the top i appreciate you guys being flexible with the recordings of the aaron torres podcast obviously as the ncaa has adjusted their tournament schedule i have done so with the podcast tuesday morning we did a recap of all the weekend games with the games ending on monday night This is the Thursday midweek show. I'll give you a rundown, but today's kind of a hodgepodge. I'll give it to you in a minute. Friday, we will have a Friday episode where I preview the Sweet 16, all the big games, everything you need to know. In terms of today's show, really quick, here is the rundown. Again, a little bit of a hodgepodge. I obviously recorded late, late, late on Monday night, so a lot of things that I've kind of thought about, about the opening weekend, about the weekend ahead. I'll give you some kind of midweek tournament thoughts. Also, give you a quick update on what is going on at the at Indiana University. They have a college basketball job opening, and I'll tell you this: I still think Indiana is a really good job. But based on the candidates that they are talking about potentially bringing in, I may just be dead wrong on this. I may be an idiot. Wouldn't it be the first time I, I've been just a hundred percent wrong on something. But I'm starting to get worried. Maybe Indiana isn't as good of a job as I think. We'll give you an update there then. My buddy Nick Coffey, 790KRD in Louisville. He is a radio host in Louisville. Great, great mind for people who are new to the show. Nick Coffey essentially was my co-host to start this show when the show first started. His career has evolved. Uh, He can only come on periodically, but when he does, it's always a great conversation. Nick Coffey and I will talk about the tournament, the first weekend, uh, the Indiana coaching job. Nick, again, is, in my opinion, one of the sharpest guys uh, You know, on radio. He loves college basketball, so I will talk about Nick Coffee. A couple other scheduling notes. First of all, many of you have asked me about the transfer stuff, and I promise, give me time. We will talk a ton of transfers over the next week or two. Today is not the day, but we will talk transfers. Many of you have asked me about that, and I should mention, me and my team do track transfers over at collegebasketballtransfers.com. If you want all the big news on all the big names, go to collegebasketballtransfers.com, CBB transfers on Twitter. So if you want college basketball transfer stuff, uh, we will talk about it. But today, it's about the tournament. It's about Indiana. It's about Nick Coffee. Before we get started, really quickly, want to remind you, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast if you are on the KSR feed Come join us on the Aaron Torres podcast feed. Google me, find me, subscribe there. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. And I should mention, YouTube, YouTube channel blowing up over 3,000 subscribers there. You can find more content over on YouTube. Just search Aaron Torres and you'll find me there. With that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into the topics of the day. Before we do, actually, I, before we get into the topics of the day, one quick note. I do want to, before we get into the NCAA tournament talk, welcome back a great sponsor that we have had all March long, and that is PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. You can find the who, how, and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free, all at PicksWise. Throughout March, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily betting picks and analysis from the likes of John Rothstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for a winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize. Make your next bet better with PicksWise. That's PicksWise.com Thank you to PixWise for being a sponsor of the Aaron Torres podcast. All right, let's get into it. There is no more time to waste. And yes, I know I just said that right before the PixWise ad read. So again, shout out to PixWise. But let's get into the topics of the day. And to me, what I want to do over the next few minutes is this. I want to talk about some kind of like midweek takeaways from this NCAA tournament. And I think when I look back on, say, Tuesday's episode, the bottom line is the the schedule was so weird this year. As soon as the games ended on Monday night, I just hit record and started going. I started talking and we talked upsets, Oral Roberts, Abilene Christian, all that stuff. We talked the Pac-12 dominance. We talked the Big Ten struggles. And I basically just went on Monday night, immediate reaction, talked about, four days worth of basketball five days worth of basketball and so what I want to do now is kind of hit you with some midweek thoughts that I've kind of had since the tournament concluded and since I've had time really since Tuesday morning to come up for air I have four thoughts both on last weekend and the weekend ahead that I do want to hit you with just to kind of you know kind of that NCAA tournament buffer stuff before we get to Indiana before we get to Nick Coffey thought number one is this I think it's pretty indisputable that the committee just completely screwed up seating this year. And to me, I don't even think it's debatable. And it's funny because I know you guys listen and I know I reference this all the time, but like when I say stuff like that, people, oh, Torres, you got a hot take and you hate the Big Ten or you love the Pac 12 or whatever. But I actually think this year it's pretty indisputable that the committee just messed this thing up. Because when you have a situation where the Pac 12 to a man, to a team overachieved in this tournament, it's not just that the Pac 12 has four teams in the Sweet 16. It's that all four teams upset a higher-ranked team to get there. Oregon upset Iowa. Oregon was a seven seed. Iowa was a two seed. Uh, Oregon State beat uh, as a twelve seed the five seed Tennessee. The four seed Oklahoma State. UCLA as an eleven seed beat BYU in its opener. And USC as a six seed beat Kansas as a three seed. It's pretty indisputable that those Pac-12 teams were misseeded coming into the NCAA tournament. On the flip side, it's pretty clear that the Big Ten was completely misseeded coming into the NCAA tournament. When Ohio State had eight conference losses going into the NCAA tournament, there was no business with them being a two-seed. Purdue, shouldn't have been a four-seed, probably. Iowa, I think Iowa was okay. I don't think that they were misseeded, but the bottom line remains that clearly the Big Ten was overvalued, the Pac-12 was undervalued. And the question becomes, why? And I think answer number one is that I think this net system that we use to pick teams I think it's wonky and I think it needs to be adjusted. And one thing I will say, and I talked about it a little bit on Tuesday's episode, I don't like to come on here and complain about stuff without an answer, right? Uh, Whatever the topic is. Oh, I don't like um, whatever. Doesn't matter. I like to come on here and say, this is the problem. Here is the solution. And I don't know exactly what the solution is for fixing the net because I don't know exactly what goes into this net. But what I will tell you is if we are going to use the net as much as we do in college basketball, We need to make sure it's actually a much better reflection of who the best teams are because this year, it clearly wasn't. And there may be no better example than the Big 12, Big 10, excuse me, which is a net darling and was the best conference according to the net all year and did not deliver come NCAA tournament time. And it's funny because I made this analogy on Twitter and I actually got crushed for it. Many of you will disagree. But to me, the Big 10 in basketball has kind of turned into the SEC in football where the SEC in football all year, oh, we... We kind of go into the season in football saying the SEC is the best conference in college football, indisputable. And then when teams start beating up on each other, oh, it's because the SEC is so deep. And then you get to the end of the year and you're kind of like, well, wait a second now. There were like two really good teams, like one decent team, and everybody else was kind of like sort of okay, and they just all beat up on each other. This year it was Alabama and Texas A&M. A few years ago it was Alabama and LSU. Uh, This year you could say that Georgia was okay once they figured out the quarterback position. But isn't that kind of what happened with the Big Ten this year? Like, I, I still think Michigan was legitimately good when they were fully healthy. They're in the Sweet 16. They proved it. Illinois, I still believe, was pretty good. But now that we have a little time to reflect, are we sure Ohio State was really that good? Are we sure Purdue was all that good? Or did the net, for whatever reason, love the Big Ten? And so I think the net is wonky. I think it needs to get fixed. I don't know what the answers are, but it is clear that they overvalued certain teams and they undervalued certain teams. I think beyond that, the committee just didn't do a good enough job of doing what it said it was going to do. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is very simply this, is that throughout the year, the committee, and we all agreed as a college basketball community, and I know you guys love college basketball, you wouldn't be listening, Um, We all agreed this was going to be the craziest NCAA tournament ever, and it was going to be harder than ever to determine which teams deserved what kind of seeding come tournament time. And if you listen to all the experts, you know, everybody said, oh, you know, it's going to be so crazy because you got to figure out who was on COVID pause, who didn't go on COVID pause, did not going on COVID pause maybe hurt teams that had to play a full schedule, did going on COVID pause for too long hurt teams? What about teams that came off of COVID pause but didn't have their full roster? And there were all these different variables, and then it felt like once they got to seeding the tournament, they just kind of went off the, the variables that they always did, and they shouldn't have done that. I'll give you a perfect example: Oregon. Oregon was the Pac-12 regular season champ. They were. Uh, they finished the season twenty. They finished the season winning eleven of their final thirteen games. So let's just think about that in a vacuum. Power six conference champion, eleven of their final thirteen games. Does that sound like the profile? of a number seven seed. Now you could say, oh, well, they had a couple bad losses here and they did this and that. Does that sound like the profile of a seven seed? Because you watch Oregon, you look at their resume, that doesn't feel like a seven seed and I'll take it a step further. Again, I don't think that the committee did its job in evaluating Oregon properly. Why do I say that? Well, Oregon went through about a six week COVID pause right in the middle of the season. Six week COVID pause where they play, they were basically off for two, two and a half, three weeks, they come back, they play one game and then they had to go back on COVID pause. And so Oregon basically went from the middle of November where, oh, by the way, when they started the season, one of their best players, LJ Figueroa, wasn't even eligible. They go through the middle of the season, they go on a COVID pause, they come off the COVID pause, take a bad loss against Washington State, and then they're basically unbeatable the rest of the year. So did the committee really factor all of those things in? Or did they say, ah, Oregon, Pac-12, whatever, seven seed? And it's kind of the flip side with Ohio State. Ohio State finished 21-9 and in the regular season. They finished fifth in the Pac-12. Does that sound like the resume? Fifth in the Big Ten, excuse me. Does that sound like the resume of a two seed? Because it doesn't sound like it to me, again, unless you either misevaluated them, you trust the net too much, whatever the case is. And I know it's not apples to apples, but how about this? USC, 22-7, second place finish in the Pac-12. They're a six seed. Ohio State, two more losses, one fewer win, 21-9, and nine, and they're a six seed. And so I think that's that's takeaway number one. I'm not blaming the committee. I'm not saying it's all on them. Some of it is on the computers. But whatever it is, my biggest takeaway from this weekend was just flat out that the committee, like, they just missed some stuff. Like, they just flat out did not get some of these teams right. Takeaway number two. Takeaway number two. The Big Ten is in some real trouble. And it's interesting because on Tuesday's episode, I talked a lot about the Big Ten. And you guys don't need me to repeat everything. But again, the Big Ten entered this tournament with nine teams total in the NCA tournament. They had one team make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And in the Big Ten's defense, like some of those teams lost to teams that they're supposed to. Like Rutgers, as a, a 10 seed, won a game, and then they lost to Houston. And they could have won that game. They should have lost that. Maryland lost a game to Alabama as a 10 seed. They should have lost it. Wisconsin, as an 8 seed, you lose to Baylor, you should have lost it. But let's also not forget that Ohio State, Purdue, Iowa, Illinois all top four seeds were all upset. And I think even within the context of that, again, you can go back to the misseeding. You can't look at Illinois losing to Loyola and say that Loyola was an eight seed. Loyola was probably like a five seed in an eight seeds line and Illinois just had the misfortune of playing them. But I do think it comes to a bigger point, which I talked about on Tuesday's show, which is I am just not sure that the Big Ten recruits the kind of players, and plays the kind of style that translates to success in the NCAA tournament. And what I basically said was, you look at the Big Ten's rosters, and outside of Michigan, which I think has two or three pros, and outside of Illinois, which I think has two or three pros, you have a lot of rosters with really good college players, but maybe not NBA players. And once you get to the tournament that gets exposed, Ohio State, their best low post player, EJ Liddell, really good player, really good player. He's six foot eight. Like, like, he's a six foot eight center. Like, you can't win with that in the NCAA tournament. Iowa, I love Luca Garza. He's been great for college basketball. Uh, but Luca Garza is not even the best NBA prospect on his own team. That's probably Joe Wieskamp. Uh you, you go on and on down the list, Purdue. They don't have NBA guys. And so I put that out on on Tuesday's episode, and I had two different people from the Big Ten reach out to me and basically confirm Torres. You may be crazy, but you were right on that one. You are right. The Big Ten does not have the players that it needs, and it does not play the style that it needs to win in the NCAA tournament. And this problem is not going to get fixed until those two things, the players get better and the style gets changed. And so let me tell you what I was told by two people in the Big Ten that listen to this show. Shout out to you guys. You know who you are. Uh, Let's talk about it. First of all, the players aren't that good. It sounds like, oh, that's hyperbole. Of course, the Big Ten has good players. Luca Garza, EJ Liddell, Dwayne Washington, all the Michigan guys. Here's the bottom line. They really don't. I had a buddy tip me off to this. How about this? 2020 NBA draft. You know how many first round picks the Big Ten had? They had one. Jalen Smith, center from Maryland. The last NBA draft, the Big Ten had one first round pick. Jalen Smith from Maryland. You know how many Kentucky had? Two. You know how many Arizona had? Two. You know how many Washington had? Isaiah Stewart and Jada McDaniels. Two. How about that for a fact? The SEC had six first-round picks last year. Two from Kentucky, Tyrese Maxey and Emmanuel Quickly. You had Isaac Okoro from Auburn. You had Kyra Lewis from Alabama. You had Aaron Neesmith from Vanderbilt. And you had Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick from Georgia. So think about that for a second. Vanderbilt, who finished in last place in the SEC last year, had the same number of first-round picks as the entire Big Ten. That is a fact. That is not my opinion. That is a fact. The players need to get better. This year it will be a little bit different. Io DeSumo is going to be a first-round pick. Franz Wagner from Michigan is going to be a first-round pick. They will have a few more players, but the bottom line remains, just look at the difference in talent. Look at the difference in, say, an LSU, which finished third in the SEC this year, the talent that they have on their roster compared to, say, like an Ohio State or a Purdue. Purdue may be more experienced. You could argue they're better coached, but LSU's got dudes on their roster. Um, you know, Arkansas has dudes on their roster. I think Arkansas is much better coached. Alabama's a much better coach, but they got players on their roster. And so somebody from the Big Ten pointed that out to me. The other conferences really do just have better players. When the Pac-12 has six guys picked in the first round, including two from Washington who finished in last place, and the Big Ten has one, kind of indisputable Big Ten doesn't have enough good players second thing is style of play and this was such a great point and I cannot wait to share it with you guys and shout out to the guy who sent it to me you know who you are I won't use your name I won't use your school affiliation but he said dude our style of play is what kills us because you need to play a certain style of of play to win in the Big Ten but that style of play is also what will doom you in the NCAA tournament And I said that's really interesting well what do you mean by that he goes well in the Big Ten you need at least one big guy. You need a, a back-to-the-basket, low-post guy, center down low. Iowa, Luca Garza. If you do not have that guy in the Big Ten, you will get killed. Michigan, Hunter Dickinson. Uh, Ohio State, E.J. Liddell, who's only six foot eight, but he's that guy. Travion Williams at Purdue. You need that guy in the Big Ten. If you don't, you'll get killed. Nebraska, they try to do this modern spacing, five-guard, all that stuff. Nebraska finished in last place. They got really talented players, but you go game in and game out with teams that can just kill you in the post. You can't compete in the Big Ten. The problem is when you get to the NCAA tournament, now you're playing better players, more talented athletes, and players that can expose that you may be bigger, you may be more physical, but you're also not as quick. You're also not as athletic. So example, Iowa, Luca Garza, amazing in the Big Ten. He was amazing scoring-wise, against Oregon in the NCAA tournament. But guess what? If you watch that game, Oregon put them in a million pick and rolls. They, they had quicker guys going right past them, getting to the rim, scoring at will, kicking it out for three-pointers, and Oregon killed them. And it was the same, basically, across the board. Or Roberts destroyed Ohio State. Quicker, more athletic, certainly not as big, maybe not as skilled, but they just destroyed them. Purdue, North Texas, similar deal. And until the Big Ten figures out that balance... Yes, you need to play a certain way, but you also need to recruit a certain type of kid. Now, I think Illinois has it figured out. Again, I will go to my deathbed believing that Illinois just got a bad draw with Loyola Chicago. They were a championship-caliber team. And Michigan might be the only team right now that has those kinds of guys, that has the big guy that can compete in the Big Ten, but they also have the athletic, quick-skilled guys that can play in the NBA, like a Franz Wagner, like an Isaiah Livers before he was hurt. I thought those were two really interesting points but I guess what I'm trying to tell you is I don't think this drought for the Big Ten gets better anytime soon. I don't think they have good enough players. And I don't think in a more important sense, they play the right style of play to have success in the Big Ten. Uh, I'm already going long because I do want to get to a little bit of Indiana before I get to Nick Coffey. But two other quick thoughts on the opening weekend and looking ahead to the second weekend. The first big thought that I have is this. I think that Gonzaga's path actually got tougher as the tournament went on, not easier. Now, I'll tell you this. I still believe in Gonzaga. I'm not giving up on them. They were my pick to win the national championship. I'll probably look pretty dumb doing it. But I think their, their their path actually got tougher because we opened this tournament saying the two seed, three seed, four seed in this bracket, they've already beaten. They crushed the number two seed Iowa in the regular season. They crushed the number three seed Kansas in the regular season. They crushed the number four seed Virginia in the regular season. All those teams were in their bracket. Here's the thing, though. All those teams lost, okay? All those teams lost. And you look at this bracket now, I just spent a lot of time talking about Oregon. Oregon's got pros, they got athletes, they got scores, and I think Gonzaga could have trouble with them. USC on the flip side, USC, bunch of big guys down low, bunch of guys that can change shots at the rim. USC, I think, can give Gonzaga trouble as well. So I would just say watch out for that. Listen, if if, if if Gonzaga loses before the, before the Final Four, I'm going to get crushed on social media because I've been defending them all year. But I do think, I do think, do think, do think that their schedule actually got tougher, not easier since the tournament started. And then my final thought on, on the NCAA tournament from the opening weekend and looking ahead to next weekend, and I will mention again, we will have a full Sweet 16 preview on Friday's episode. We will do a Friday episode. I think my other big takeaway, I think that the Midwest region is as wide open as I can ever remember. And the Midwest region, again, that was the region where Illinois was the number one seed. They lost to Loyola of Chicago. The number three seed, West Virginia lost to Syracuse. The four seed, Oklahoma State. And the five seed, which was Tennessee, all both lost to Oregon State. And it leaves you with a sweet 16 that is Oregon State versus Loyola, Syracuse versus Houston. And I'm just telling you, that's as wide open of a bracket as I can ever remember, because I believe that all four of those teams go into this weekend believing that they can win that region. You look at Loyola Chicago, I mentioned a minute ago, it is indisputable, indisputable, indisputable that they are, they were as good, if not better than Illinois on Saturday, on Sunday when they played. And it was one of those deals where you just watch the game, you go, oh, that's the better team. Like, I have one of my best friends, one of my really good friends is an Illinois alum, and he was like, I got nothing to say. Like, they were the better team. They deserve to win. So that team is in the Sweet 16. Add to the fact that, oh, by the way, they're playing an Oregon State team that in the past five games, here's who Oregon State's beaten. UCLA in the Sweet 16. Oregon in the Sweet 16. Colorado made the second round of the NCAA tournament. They beat those three teams in the Pac-12 tournament. Then they beat Tennessee. Then they beat Oklahoma State, which was one of the hottest teams in the country coming into this weekend. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, Oregon State feels really good. And then on the flip side, Houston was my pick to go to the Final Four. But with that said, they are playing a Syracuse team that's red hot. And we all know you don't want to play Syracuse. Uh, you don't want to play Syracuse in the NCAA tournament because that zone gives you fits. And I think all four of those teams... Uh, have a chance to go to the final four again a full preview of the Sweet 16 coming on a special Friday edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast lots of other stuff to talk about right now though so let's transition off the court where there are of course still a few big job openings available DePaul it looks as though Kenny Payne is eventually going to be the guy Marquette kind of an interesting opening Could it be a place that Shaka Smart, a Wisconsin native, by the way, almost took the job in 2014? Could it be a spot that Shaka Smart tries to get to before Texas can fire him either this offseason or the following one? We'll see. Stay tuned. But, of course, the biggest job, the one I want to update you on, and I got to be honest, the one that I'm starting to get a little bit worried about is what's going on in Indiana. Nick Coffey and I will talk about this in a minute when Nick Coffey joins me, but I'm just going to tell it to you like it is. I may be like the last person on planet Earth that still thinks Indiana is a good coaching job. Listen, you have history, and I know history doesn't mean a ton to current recruits and current players, but it does matter to coaches considering taking the job. Obviously, they can pay well. They just paid Archie Miller $10 million to go away. Also, say what you want about Archie Miller. He proved that you can still recruit at a high level at Indiana. He landed Trace Jackson Davis. He landed Romeo Langford. He landed Christian Lander. And so I still believe that this is a really good job. But again... I'm starting to get worried as to what I'm seeing out of the Indiana camp and Indiana kind of broader picture in Bloomington as far as what is going on with this job. So let's give you a quick update as to what what has happened and where it stands. And look, obviously, as I just referenced a minute ago, Archie Miller was let go about 10 days ago last Monday. It is now obviously Thursday, the 25th. And when he was let go, obviously there was this long list of just super desirable candidates. And like any job, I think it's great to shoot for the moon, shoot for the stars, and try to get the best possible candidate you can. And so we all know who the names were. It was Brad Stevens, the Celtics coach, who was, of course, from Indiana, coached at Butler. It's Scott Drew, who played at Butler, now at Baylor, grew up in Indiana, playing for or, or growing up uh, under Valparaiso coach, Homer Drew, he is, of course, Homer Drew's son, so he grew up in Indiana. took a long way. It took me a while to, to to basically say that Scott Drew is Homer Drew's son. but he's in the picture. You wonder if Chris Beard would be interested, a guy that has gone from job to job to job to job to job, and obviously has ties loosely to the program because of the fact that he worked under Bobby Knight. Um, you know, Eric Musselman, the head coach at Arkansas. But really, since that initial list of candidates came out, it's kind of been crickets in terms of the big names. Brad Stevens officially said that he is not interested in the job. It took him about two or three press conferences to do it. And then everybody else, it's been kind of quiet in terms of, again, those really big names. And oh, by the way, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I know everybody wants to crush Indiana on everything, but there is still the possibility that Indiana is either pursuing, interested in, or knows that they can eventually get a head coach currently in the NCAA tournament, whether it is Scott Drew, whether it is Chris Beard, who obviously his season just ended Sunday, whether it is Eric Musselman, whether it is Porter Mosier, a guy that I'll be honest, I didn't really think he should be considered until I saw what he did to Illinois. And now I'm sitting there saying, look, Porter Mosier, elite defense, number one defensive team in the country, number four in field goal percentage offense. He is obviously a great X's and O's coach. So he is a guy that, I'll be honest, came onto my radar during that NCAA tournament. So there is the possibility, and I don't want to discredit the possibility, that Indiana is still pursuing guys that are currently coaching in this NCAA tournament, and as Nick Coffey and I will talk about in a minute, I certainly hope so, because I don't think you pay Archie Miller $10 million to go away. I don't think you raise $10 million from boosters to go get a big name if you really don't know what you're doing going into this coaching search. But that is also what very much concerns me as I give you the update, because the only real update we're getting is involving two candidates that I think would absolutely be terrible for this job. And that is Thad Mata, the former Ohio State coach, Mike Woodson, former Indiana player who has been in the NBA for basically the last 30 years. There was even a report that Thad Mata had accepted the job and failed a physical. That report ended up being false. But the bro- the bottom line is Rick Bozich, a really good reporter out of Louisville, reported that these are two names that have surfaced. And let me tell you this. I may believe that Indiana is a great job, but if they end up with either Thad Mata or Mike Woodson, I'm telling you, I'm out on the Indiana train. I'm never wearing pinstripe pants again because I just do not believe that it is an elite job if that is the best that you can do after firing the last coach and paying him $10 million. Let me explain why. Let's start, start with Thad Mata. At this point to me, Thad Mata, and I've said this in a few different places, so I apologize if you've heard me say this, Thad Mata is basically the Bob Stoops of college basketball, right? Bob Stoops, for people that love college football, former Oklahoma head coach, won a national championship in 2000, retired about four or five years ago, handed over the program to Lincoln Riley, but he's still kind of in his mid-50s, and it feels like every single time a job opens up, Bob Stoops is the first name that everybody says, oh, Florida State, gotta call Bob Stoops. Oh, USC, gotta call Bob Stoops. And it's like, we've gone through three or four coaching cycles, and it be- it has become pretty apparent I just don't think Bob Stoops wants a coach anymore. And so I bring it up because of the fact that I feel like Thad Mata is kind of the same. Every single time a job opens up, his name comes up. Georgia, his name was a candidate there. Ole Miss, his name was a candidate there. I can't even think about all the other ones that have opened up. Those are two that come to mind. And now he's getting tossed around at Indiana. And I think we have to accept that the ship just might have sailed on Thad Mata. And even in a a different way than Bob Stoops, where it's clear that Bob Stoops just doesn't want to coach. I'll be honest. I don't think that Thad Mata can coach even if he wants to. Because for people who have followed this stuff, for people who know a little bit about Thad Mata, what you need to know essentially about Thad Mata is this. This is no disrespect, I wish him the best, I hope I'm wrong, I hope there's new information that I do not have available, but based on the most recent information we have on Thad Mata, he is not physically able to handle the stresses of being a big time college basketball coach. For people who do not know his background, first of all, there is a reason, I should backtrack, there is a reason why he would make sense as a legitimate candidate at at Indiana. Outside of John Beeline, I think he's basically the only coach that is currently unemployed, It kind of in that age range where you could come back to coach basketball, that has been to multiple Final Fours. He went to the Final Four in 07 with uh, Greg Oden and Mike Conley and all those guys. He went back in 2012 with Jared Sollinger and Aaron Kraft, who was in college forever. And so I see why people would be interested. But here is the bottom line, and this is really sad. And again, I hope there's an update that I'm not aware of. But physically, I don't think he can do the job. He got a back surgery in the late 2000s that really kind of, uh, you know, again, I, I hope I'm wrong, but messed him up physically. You read reports... He, cu- he couldn't do the job of being a major college basketball coach. He was basically uh, a coaching practice from a stool late in his o- time at Ohio State. He was limited in how much he could travel, how much he could recruit, how much he could do the things that are required to be a head coach. There were even reports that he struggled to do things as simple as tie his shoes, put on his shoes, things like that. Maybe things have changed. But right now, I just don't believe that right now he is a guy that can physically handle this kind of coaching job. If this was a guy that the last time that he was a college basketball coach was basically coaching practice from a stool, and now you're going to put him into one of the highest pressure jobs in college basketball, that just doesn't even make sense to me. On top of that, I think that his actual performance is reflective in a guy that was really struggling physically (laughs) towards the back end of his career. If you remember, those last couple years at Ohio State were not good. In his last four years at Ohio State, he made, he made two NCAA tournaments, only won one NCAA tournament game in his final four years, and his final two years, he missed the NCAA tournament altogether. It's worth mentioning, the one time he won an NCAA tournament game, he had D'Angelo Russell, who ended up being the number two overall pick in that following draft, and so he had elite talent. And so now you're telling me you're going to replace a guy in Archie Miller that didn't make an NCAA tournament in four years with a guy who won one NCAA tournament game in his final four years? I'm sorry. I don't see it. Forgive me. I don't think he's the guy. Beyond that, if that Mata is a bad hire, Mike Woodson is apocalyptically bad. And let me explain who Mike Woodson is and why people think that he might be a candidate. Mike Woodson played at Indiana kind of during the glory days under Bobby Knight with Isaiah Thomas in the early or late 70s into the early 80s. He actually left the year before they won the 1981 National Championship. He has been in the NBA since. He's had a few NBA head coaching jobs, including with the Knicks. And Mike Woodson, I think, is being sold within Indiana circles as basically he could be Indiana's Jawan Howard, okay? So basically the idea being that Juwan Howard was spent his entire career in the NBA, came to college at Michigan, has been incredible. And, oh, Mike Woodson can be that guy at Indiana. To which I say, please stop. That doesn't even make sense. That's not even comparing apples to oranges. That's comparing apples to uh, a chocolate sundae, a, 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 a strawberry shortcake. Uh, this is comparing apples to... Um, uh, pancakes it doesn't even make sense it doesn't apply and so and he let me explain why I understand the parallel they both spent a bunch of time in the NBA here is the major difference though Jawan Howard is 48 years old when he was hired at Michigan he was 46 years old he's young he's affable he's personable and on top of that he was a guy who at the time had a son who was being recruited as a major Division One prospect. That son now plays for him as a freshman at Michigan. But at the time, when Juwan Howard took the job... He was in the gym watching his son play with a bunch of college coaches. And I've talked to college coaches who saw Juwan Howard around the gym and said, that guy's awesome. That guy would be great in college if he ever decided to come because he understood how college worked. He understood how recruiting worked. He knew what he would need to do to have success in the college level if he ever decided to come. And that's being proven correct uh, since he has gone to Michigan. They're obviously a number one seed with a chance to go to the Elite Eight when they play Florida State over the weekend. Mike Woodson, on the other hand, not only has Mike Woodson not been in college in 30 plus years since he left Indiana, 40 years, excuse me, 1980, he left Indiana, he hasn't been back on a college campus in any major way since then. On top of that, he's 62 years old. There is no comparison between him and Juwan Howard other than that at one point they were employed by the NBA. Juwan Howard is younger. Juwan Howard had a son who was being recruited. And so I just don't see how Mike Woodson makes sense for this job other than that he's an Indiana alum. Guess what? Mark Cuban is also an Indiana alum. Nobody is, uh, you know, arguing that he should be the head coach of this team. I don't believe Mike Woodson's the answer. As far as who is the answer, it remains to be seen. I've said from the beginning, I keep saying it to the point that I'm probably annoying about it now. I don't understand why you don't call John Beeline and keep calling John Beeline until he gives you an answer, until he says no. And then you add a couple zeros onto that paycheck until he says yes. By the way, for the record, I don't know John Beeline, never met him. So I'm not like in John Beeline's corner on this. I just think it's a no brainer. And hopefully, the AD at Indiana has some answers that maybe I'm not aware of. Maybe he is waiting to talk to people in the NCAA tournament. Maybe he does know of a coach in the NCAA tournament that would take this job. Again, Porter Mosier would probably be my guy from Loyola if I had a choice. But I bring it up to say Indiana has to start making moves. And I'll I'll wrap on this. They really got to start making moves because the transfer portal is bumping. And as I told you a couple times already, we are going to talk transfer portal next week once this Final Four gets settled, because the transfer portal is bananas right now. The transfer portal has so many good players. And guess what? By the way, I mentioned it before. CollegeBasketballTransfers.com, me, me and my uh, crew there are, are keeping track of everything you need to know. But beyond that, how about this? Four players have entered the portal for Indiana since Archie Miller has been fired, including their three of their four leading scores. Trace Jackson Davis was their leading scorer. He will probably go to the NBA. After that, Armand Franklin, second leading scorer, is now in the portal. Al Durham, third leading scorer, is now in the portal. Race Thompson, fourth leading scorer, entered the portal on Wednesday, as well as Parker Stewart, a transfer who was sitting out this year. And I am just telling you, The longer Indiana waits, the less likely it is that they not only get the guy that they want, but two, that they even have a team to come back to. Because the one thing about college basketball, these players understand they're not going to sit around and wait around for a month for Indiana to figure out who their coach is. They want answers or they will move on and find the school that fits them best. But again, three of Indiana's top four scorers from this past season have entered the portal. On top of that, a fourth player. So four players overall from this season are now in the portal. And if you're Indiana, I hope you have a plan because this is changing really quick and you need to find a head coach. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the AirTour Sports Podcast. I have yelled and screamed long enough, but this Indiana thing has me just like, what is going on with this Indiana thing? So, uh, so yeah, Indiana, uh, and we're going to get to Nick Coffee right now. Before we get to Nick Coffee, I want to remind you guys: please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and again. If you are on the KSR feed, find the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast feed. Make sure you're subscribed there because I promise you, we are going to do uh, a lot of stuff here over the next couple weeks as it pertains to college basketball, not just the NCAA tournament, but we will hit transfer portal stuff. We will hit details. We will hit the best players, all that kind of stuff. But just because the season is coming to an end, just because by this weekend, we're only gonna have four teams left in the tournament does not mean that we're gonna stop talking college hoops. The transfer portal is about to be crazier than it's ever been. Again, go to collegebasketballtransfers.com for up-to-the-minute details. Follow on Twitter at CBB Transfers. But let me get out of here. Again, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any more questions and as always, thank you to our friends at PixWise for being an incredible sponsor here throughout March, visit picks for expert picks on all NCAA tournament games. That is all for this segment. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And now, My buddy Nick Coffey, you can hear him 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. For people who are new to the show, Nick basically did almost every show with me as an essential co-host early on in this show, and then as he has uh, evolved in his career, he has less time to hang out with me, but he is an incredible uh, thinker. He is a guy that I love talking college hoops with, Nick Coffey from 790 KRD in Louisville. Here he is. All right. Joining me via Zoom, uh, my buddy, Nick Coffey. Obviously, uh, I say it every time, but uh, back in the day, he used to basically be on every single episode. Uh, His career has taken off. He's now hosting mornings. He can't stay up late with me recording after the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament at 2 a.m. Eastern on a Monday. But Uh, He is here to talk about everything that happened the opening weekend in the NCAA tournament. Chat with me a little bit. Maybe we'll get into some Indiana, what's going on in his market at Louisville, but you can hear him 790KRD in Louisville, 7 to 10 Eastern. Nick, coffee, my man, what is going on?
1: Oh, my goodness. It's March. I'm on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It's our time to shine. It doesn't get much better than this. The field of 16, which we'll discuss, not exactly what I would have envisioned not what I really would have hoped for but I am uh, I am not going to miss out on the March Madness excitement even though I have no team to root for it's been kind of a whatever field we didn't get March Madness last year and it sucked it was a gut punch so uh, I'm fired up and happy to be here with you talking tournament time
0: that's exactly what I was thinking as you kind of set that up. Is that like, and I don't, I didn't even talk about it on Monday's episode, but or Tuesday's episode, I guess, but that was something that struck me is usually when we get a sweet 16 like this, a couple, you know, we got a 15 seed, a 12 seed in Oregon State, uh, you know, uh, one seed's knocked out Illinois, brackets are busted. Usually people are complaining, oh, it's bad for the tournament, it stinks. And I feel like this year, like we're in the honeymoon phase with the NCAA tournament, where we're just like, "Yeah, Oregon State, come on over, Sweet Sixteen, Jim Boeheim, we love you, you're back, come come hang, come join the party." USC, we haven't thought about USC basketball in 30 years. Andy Enfield, bring the boys. I feel like everyone's like, I just feel like everybody's happy, and the normal things that we would complain about with a Sweet Sixteen, like the one that we have. I don't really maybe it's early in the week when we're recording here on Tuesday morning. I don't feel like I'm hearing any of those complaints at this moment.
1: Yes. And I think another factor in that is that we're looking at seeds and understanding the committee just got it wrong with some of these teams. I mean, that's you're not looking at some of these Pac-12 teams and saying, geez, how'd they end up here? This is so this is so random. They benefited from a big upset. And you could make the case that maybe that that's why UCLA's there. But I don't care. I'm watching these Pac-12 teams, the Oregons, the USC's, the UCLA specifically, Oregon State. I don't know how good they are, but they don't look fraudulent. It doesn't look like they just had some March Madness with, you know, some Cinderella dancing shoes on. They look legitimate. And that's why I don't think, you know, maybe the Oral Roberts, you could say maybe maybe that's the only example really about a Cinderella being kind of the, the girl you bring home at the bar. And she's great that night when you're 10 drinks deep and the next morning, meaning the next morning's the second weekend. She doesn't look as good. Oral Roberts is that to me, but everybody else, I mean, you saw what USC did to, to Kansas last night. That was domination.
0: Well, first of all, I'd even say with Oral Roberts, I mean, you know, they, I don't know what their win loss record was, but they played at Arkansas at Oklahoma state at Oklahoma at somewhere else it's not as though they did not prepare themselves for this in the out of conference portion of the slate it's interesting I wasn't going to lead with this but actually since you bring it up I I want your opinion on this because it really you know I I did all my recap immediately after the games on Monday night um, and you know it didn't strike me until Tuesday morning is I I think what you just said is the biggest storyline that at least Nobody as we're recording here uh, has talked about. And, and I think it's the, the conversation is the upsets, the conversation is the Pac-12 is 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 has four number four teams in the Sweet 16, the Big Ten has one. But I think you hit on something deeper. I think that everybody was completely misseated this year. And I don't think you can really argue otherwise because how else can you explain? The Pac-12 completely overachieving in this conference in this tournament. The Big Ten completely underachieving in this tournament. So, one, you already said you believe a lot of teams were misseeded. I agree with you. You know, Oregon had won eleven to thirteen before uh, Selection Sunday, and they were a seven seed, which seemed preposterous. Colorado was playing really well. USC struggled down the stretch, but they were great for probably eighty-five percent of the regular season. Do you think uh, misseeding happened? And then I'll give you kind of my half-baked theory. Uh, well, let me just say this: Do you're, and I thought about this this morning. You're my net insider. When the net first came out, you're the only person I know that like crunches the numbers on the net. So is this a byproduct of did the committee do something wrong, or the numbers skewed? Is the net just messed up? Why did we have? Because it does feel like an Ohio State was misseeded as a two, uh, a USC was misseeded as a six, and Oregon was misseeded as a seven. On and on and on.
1: Yeah, so I think the net rankings. The issue with the net rankings, and I don't, I don't crunch them to the extent of where I can really tell you how it works. I just know I can follow it and I can see how it, how they react to winning and losing, and what the, the net. They, they give you, I think what, four or five weeks ahead of time. These don't come out until, I think at least a few weeks into the season. I think it's actually in early January. And that's to crunch some numbers ahead of time. And I don't know what they do in that process, but clearly it told us that the big 10 was this dominant league and the big 10 beat up on each other. And the reality is I saw this, I wish we would have gotten a field last year because we would have been able to, at that point, not even have a tournament, but just tell us what the committee was going to do because last year, this was brewing. Now it's all a blur because it didn't happen, but the net was drunk last year and we were never, we were never got a chance to see how the committee was going to do it. And What they The issue with the net, they got to retool in some form or fashion to where winning and losing matters more. What happens is you'll have a Penn State team in the net that finished with an abysmal record this year. I think they were a losing team overall. They were like a top 30 net team all year. That can't happen. That makes no sense, and it's just because of who they're playing. Maybe those games are somewhat close, but the net to me is flawed. I really trust Ken Palm, and Ken Palm would tell you that Loyola Chicago – I couldn't look at their resume and tell you why. I mean, that's one of those things where if people are complaining about them being misseeded. I just I, – I don't get how. They didn't really beat anybody, and the good teams they played, they lost. Clearly, they were a good team. But, like, UCLA is a top 25 Ken Palm team. They mm-hmm. were in the play-in game. Look at them now. USC was a top 10 team in the Ken Palm. They're number, like, nine, I think. And they are now not only getting to the second weekend, they look like one of the best teams in there as far as talent. So, I think the committee gets somewhat of a pass this year with seeding because it was hard to do. There wasn't as much data in the non-conference side of it. And a lot of teams didn't play the same amount of games, but I think what happened here with the PAC 12 specifically, the PAC 12 clearly didn't get any benefit of the doubt because normally they're the team that 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 doesn't do anything in the tournament and they look like frauds. Last year, something Andy Enfield said after they beat Kansas last night, I didn't realize this. He claimed that the league last year was much better than people remember. That's what a coach would say, but maybe there's some truth to that. Also, he mentioned the Pac-12 put more guys in the NBA draft than any other league. I had no clue that was the case. So I think what happened here is This was a year where you were going to have to probably decide who you were and weren't going to give the benefit of the doubt to if you're the committee. They clearly did not value the Pac-12. They didn't value the the ACC either. I don't know. That was when I learned Louisville was going to be on the wrong side of the bubble when you got Georgia Tech winning the league, getting an eight seed or a nine seed. Carolina, Virginia Tech getting those seeds that they got. So I think they they, they, they just determined which leagues were good and which ones weren't this year, and they were clearly wrong about two of them. The Big Ten was a good league, but not at all what they made it out to be. And the Pac-12, clearly a league that is proving they're better than the numbers next to their name on Selection Sunday. So, look, the net needs to be retooled. I wouldn't be able to – I'm not smart enough to tell you how to do that. Um, But I just know it credits who you play more than it does who you beat in in winning or losing. And last I checked, that's pretty important.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really funny because, you know, usually on this show, and and you and I are the same kinds of hosts in that – I don't like to just present a problem and complain about it. I like to give a solution. Um, I'm not smart enough to figure out what the solution is on this one. But what I do know is it's very clear that the metrics that we use to pick and seed teams simply isn't working. And so, you know, UCLA is a great example, by the way. They were top 25 in the preseason. Their best player gets hurt. He's out for the year. They retool around a name that many people listening are familiar with, Johnny Juzang. And, you know, they didn't look great, but it's like, you you watch them, you're like, this is a pretty good team. They played at Oregon late in the season and had a chance to win that game late. Oregon, if you just watch Oregon, you're like, oh, that's a good team. And everybody felt that way when they were watching them on Monday. And so, you know, I, I really – I hate doing the complaining thing without having an answer, and I really don't know what it is. But I do think ultimately, to me, it does start with a couple of things. I just think, one, we have to, as you said – Stop crediting like, like we, we give so much credit and it's so funny because I'm sure you talk to mid-major coaches. I've talked like, it's like a Belmont is just an example. I think they finished 24 and four at one point they were like 22 and one down the stretch. They lose to Moorhead state in the conference tournament championship game. And it's like, they weren't even close to the bubble. They weren't even close, you know? And it's like, and we give the benefit of the doubt to these big 10 teams. And it's like, well, they have all, you know, eight quad one wins and it's like yeah but they have seven quad two quad one losses and they have 13 losses overall. And it's like, I get the parallel of if Belmont played a big 10 schedule, they wouldn't go 24 and four, but I'm hundred percent with you, man. Winning matters. You and I have talked about this a lot on your show. Winning needs to matter more. And like I said, uh, this isn't like pick on the big 10 day, but I think even if you watch that conference, like, you know, and, and I'm not taking too much credit cause I had Illinois going far. I liked Michigan throughout the year, but it's like, you watch Ohio state, there's nothing that stands out about them. And oh, by the way, they had eight losses in the big 10. You know, even just, just, and I'm rambling now, but you just look at Ohio state athletically, let's just compare them to another two seed Alabama. It's not even the same stratosphere. Then you take a team like Purdue four seed. I, I think if you just put on the tape and I'm now I'm rambling for real, for real, but you put on the tape of Purdue as a four seed and then you put on the tape of USC as a six seed Oregon as a seven seed. You're like, these aren't even the, they're not even playing the same sport. And so, again, I don't know what the answer is. Listen, I will tell you, I am a big proponent of the eye test. I know it doesn't make me cool on Twitter and social media and there has to be some sort of like computer data and metrics that, that, you know, you actually do lean on when picking these teams. But again, you can't, you couldn't have watched Oregon over the last two weeks of the season and not said, I don't know where that team's going to be seeded, but that team can go to a freaking Final Four. USC, that's a second weekend team. And I don't know that I ever felt that way watching Purdue, watching Ohio State, certainly watching Wisconsin. That was an eight seed basically in the same spot as Oregon late in the season. So I'm rambling. I don't know where you want to take it, but, but it's yeah, just – I just
1: I, – I wish I could have said I told you so, but I was somebody that believed the Big Ten was every bit as good as people claimed it was. And then when you watch the tournament, it's not just the results. That's all that matters is the scoreboard. But when I watch North Texas and Purdue, North Texas got some dudes just like Purdue does. Like it's, there's no, you know, and that stood out to me. Same Illinois, different situation because of Coburn and AO. But uh, other than that, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, obviously the, the style of play and the two bigs going up against each other. We're talking about two completely different styles of play, but Ohio State. That was the first one that, and I had no clue the Big Ten was going to implode like it did. But I'm watching Oral Roberts hang there, and they had a lead essentially the whole game against uh, against Ohio State. And like you said, there's nothing on. The, I mean, not to say they don't have good players, and they're not a good team. Clearly, those teams play 20 times. I'm sure Ohio State's going to get the best of them. But what stood out to me early on before the Big Ten implosion was just the eye test of the dudes. If that makes sense, like th- there there's the occasional guy for one of these Power Six teams that you just know. A place like Loyola Chicago is not getting that guy or Oral Roberts. But overall, there was not a gap at all, which is why here we sit with 16 teams and it's really not super surprising to see it. And really, if there was one league that probably did stand out as just having dudes, it's, it's the Pac-12, which nobody was talking about beforehand, which they've clearly proven it up to this point. I actually hate that two other teams have to play each other in this round.
0: Me too. Me too. And what I would say really quick on this note, you know, this is something that I said, I agree with you. And I actually think uh, the dudes is the X factor. And I do think Illinois was the exception. Like I just think they faced a team that was misseeded. That probably should have been a five, probably should have been a six, somewhere like that. And if they get a normal, Uh, uh, eight, nine winner. They're in the sweet 16, going to, you know, playing to go to the elite eight. And I do think like Michigan, like this is why I like Michigan all year. They got two or three guys that are going to be NBA players. And I hate to boil it down to like pros versus Joe. But by the way, when I was watching Kansas USC, that was my thought. Like that, I was like, USC has a bunch of pros on this roster. Bill self. We know why he's not recruiting as well as he was five, six, seven years ago. Like he's got some, decent college players but there's nobody that jumps out as like oh that dude's a lottery pick that dude's this that dude's that uh Evan Mobley was you know probably the most dominant player on the floor Isaiah Mobley was just as good I actually think Enfield has done an incredible job of building a roster around those guys but that's what it really came down to to me is like uh, you know you just look at the talent gap with some of these teams it's way bigger than people realized and then like you said I just think that the Pac-12 talent is probably better than people gave credit for
1: did you i mean obviously you're you're out in LA so you are more plugged into the Pac-12 than most i didn't realize last year that they had put so many guys in the pros and that these rosters for the most part even though they lost guys they 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 reload and i we don't watch Pac-12 basketball out here as much just because of the, the time difference and it's just not it's not the exposure is not the same but i'm curious to see if they like if the Pac-12 momentum continues in this tournament. I, I do think that'll kind of be a talking point because the PAC 12 traditionally has really good programs. It just seems like it's been, I mean, in fact, the one league that or the one team in that league, I think that has been consistently good for a while now
0: is the one that's not here in Arizona. Yeah. Well, in Arizona, by the way, would have been a tournament team if there had, if they had been, a, if they had chosen to be allowed to participate but no, you're right. You're right. Um, did I know that they had that many pros? Like, I, I don't think I did. But what I will tell you, like, I, I'll, be, I'll be straight up. Uh, you know, I I think I, I, I can say this. I talked to Enfield, you know, probably a few months back. And, and he's like, as good as we're playing, um, you know, he said exactly what you just said is that, um, you know, that basically he just said that the league was even better last year. I actually think USC was a little bit more balanced last year than they were this year, believe it or not. Uh, they had better shooting last year. They had better guard play last year. UCLA, I think you could argue was better. Oregon was better with Peyton. I don't know if they were better, but they had Peyton Pritchard. So sure. I, bring it all, I bring it all up to say, I think last year really would have been the coming out party and then, but this year it was. And so again, I, I don't know if this is like a trend or whatever, but I will say like they got real. The other thing too, like I, I, I was thinking about this. If you went back and looked, I think you could probably, uh, I'm not positive on this. I think UCLA As a 12 seed, they might have like if you went average player by player on their roster recruiting rankings, UCLA might be like the highest rated recruiting team still left in this tournament. And so I bring it up to say even them, they have a lot of talent. Anyway, I'm getting way off subject here, but it's the talent was never the issue. It was just about, hey, can we get the right matchups at the right time? And they got it.
1: Yeah, and honestly, just putting it together here, Stanford and Arizona State, two teams not here, they actually both landed top ten players this year, which is not the norm for them necessarily. So, yeah, the Pac-12, I think they deserve the criticism they got for years for being flameouts and just not getting it done. But man, they have they have certainly shown in just this first weekend of the tournament that there's good basketball to be played there, especially for teams. And Colorado is the one who lost, of course, but they were a good team this year. Um, And then, of course, Oregon State, they end up winning their conference tournament, getting in. And here they are with a chance to play on the second weekend. So that's honestly, man, one of the least expected storylines after the first weekend is this Pac-12 dominance. Did not see it coming at all. Didn't even think about it. Didn't even realize they had this many teams in the tournament.
0: I I can't say I saw it coming either. Um, You know, the only one I'll take credit for. I did, as soon as the bracket came out, I said, USC is going to give Kansas fits. And it's so funny, right? Let me do like, like typical, just dude at the, at the office right now. Like all, like the last three weeks of the season, I was like, you know, Oregon's really good. That's a really good, like, I think they're way better than I realized. And then I did the typical dude thing and I picked Iowa to beat him in my bracket. Like, is there anything more frustrating? It's just a guy than like you identify that team. You love that team. And then the bracket comes out and you're like, nah, I'm going to, I'm just going to go against everything that I've been telling myself for the last five or six weeks. But I can't say, I saw Colorado dominating Georgetown. I can't say I saw UCLA getting this far. I can't say who's the other one, Oregon state. Certainly not. The one thing I will give Oregon state credit for, you know, you, I don't think we should be as surprised now when you look at the fact that they went through UCLA, Oregon, and Colorado to win the Pac-12 title. It wasn't as though, again, to, to go back to your point on uh, brackets and everything like that. It wasn't as though they avoided the one seed or they, they got a bunch of upsets to win the, the Pac-12 championship. They went through probably three of the four best teams in that league to get there. So anyway, I don't even know what I'm – I'm so off the rails at this point, man. But uh, It's
1: March Madness. It happens. We get sidetracked. Going directions we didn't plan on.
0: Did the whole uh, up till about probably 1230 Eastern back up at five, six AM today, the typical Nick coffee schedule, I guess. Uh, You know, I had all these notes on the big 10, the Pac 12. I think we basically hit on all of them. Uh, Anything else stand out to you? Anything? I mean, obviously the sheer volume of upsets is something that has been uh, talked about a lot. You know, my kind of half-baked theory on it is, is a number of different things. I think my biggest thing with the upsets is the weird nature of this specific NCA tournament from the perspective that guys are stuck in their hotel rooms all day. You can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. You're by yourself, everybody's got their own hotel room. So my basic theory is that in a normal NCA tournament, you know this Nick, you've covered NCA tournaments, If you're playing on Thursday, you get into town Tuesday night. Wednesday, you have media availability, straight to practice, straight to dinner, and then you go home and you wake up the next day and you play. This year, you get in on Monday. You're sitting around all week, extra day before the tournament starts. You basically wake up, go get a COVID test, go back to the room, practice, go back to the room, play, go back to the room. And I think these kids were all sitting around watching everybody else lose. And then on top of that, just the nature of being kind of stuck in a room all day, you know, Texas doesn't play Abilene Christian until, you know, 845 at night. They probably don't leave the hotel room until seven, seven fifteen. Yeah. I'm not surprised. They came out flat. Same with Purdue North Texas. Same with whatever San Diego state against Syracuse. Any just general thoughts on why there have been so many upsets this year more than ever.
1: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with maybe the missed seedings. Maybe they're not as big, of, big as upsets as we anticipated. I, I do think the being everybody being in one place and there being no fans, essentially there's some, I mean, I think that's all obviously a factor, but I think they're going to make a documentary. Maybe they already are about the amount of time these players have spent in isolation. Like yeah. we don't, we don't think about that very often unless you just, you know, stop and wonder. I wonder what, I mean, but when, when I, Louisville, of course the team I cover, they didn't make the tournament and they decided weeks ago that even if the NIT was a thing, they weren't going to do it because unless they were playing for something that matters like the NCAA tournament, this group being isolated the way they have been, is just not something they want to do anymore. So I'm sure it is a factor. I mean, even though, even if you're doing it on your, uh, you know, on your own campus, it still sucks, but yeah, like for Texas, I mean, they traveled, they're waiting and waiting and waiting and, it's just not normal. And, and I know some will say, well, Hey, by now they should be used to it to an extent. Yeah, that's true. But it's still these kind of things can happen where you come out flat and you're just, it it doesn't feel the same. I did think we'd see maybe potentially some, you know, if we got here and there were very few upsets, I think I might've thought, okay, well that shows that the team, like a UMBC and maybe they're not a good example, but like you could tell when they were up on Virginia a couple of years ago, that entire arena was cheering for them you with, without really any crowd of substance, there's no, there's no, like when Oral Roberts held on to beat Ohio state, that was them just making plays. They weren't riding any momentum from a crowd. So in a way the, the upsets are even a little more surprising in that regard. Cause normally you've got a T te- you've got an arena full of, you know, eight fan bases sprinkled throughout, especially in the first round. And when there's no rooting interest, they're going to shoot for the underdog. And this year we didn't really get any of that.
0: I think it's totally fair. By the way, I meant to ask you earlier, I I think I I said it earlier, um, the idea of, I think back in the day, three, four years ago, if we had this many, oh, it sucks, nobody's going to stick around for the second weekend. And I still think to a degree, it's kind of true. I don't really feel like the upsets have, have hurt this tournament. Now, maybe there's just still enough teams left with the three number one seeds, Michigan, Gonzaga, Baylor, you know, Florida state's been kind of on the cusp for the last couple of years. Syracuse is a name brand, you know, Nate Oates is kind of a rising coaching star. Eric Musselman's kind of a rising coaching star. I don't know. I don't feel like this year we've been as hurt by the, like, I don't like, I feel like if this, if we had this bracket two or three years ago would be, Biggest story coming out going into the Sweet 16. Everybody complaining the bracket sucks. There's no good teams left. Maybe we were just ready for it because we knew Duke and Kentucky weren't going to be there and and Michigan State, North Carolina, etc. Probably weren't going to be there very long. Like I said earlier, though, it just doesn't feel like people are as like, you know, angry or bitter or whatever that they're that, you know, we kind of have this weird bracket.
1: Yeah. And Gonzaga and Baylor aren't normally teams we talk about throughout an entire season as being the top tier, but this year they were, and it's not, it's, it still doesn't seem necessarily normal, but those were teams that you, you know, that we hoped would potentially play because you could say maybe the two best teams in the country are playing for a national championship, which actually rarely happens in college basketball. And I think because you have the Michigans, the Floridas still around, um, you know, Syracuse is certainly a program that has a ton of history. Then being an 11 seed and being there is kind of a head scratcher. But the Sweet 16 field sets up to where you can still get, I mean, you can still get some big names that, that aren't the Dukes, the Carolinas, the Kentuckys, the Kansases, the Michigan States by any means, but you could still get good games. I think we've got a good balance of, you know, for every Oral Roberts in Loyola, Chicago, and Oregon State, as mentioned, you've got the Florida States, the Michigans, and the Gonzaga's, which Gonzaga has made a final four. It's not as if they've never been there, which one thing that's just wild to say that really speaks for this, this field, but also speaks for Loyola kind of being a, a maybe not a power program, but only Michigan and and um, Villanova have been to a final four more recent than Loyola. Because, you know, yeah. USC, it's been forever. Oregon's been forever. And I know I'm not breaking news. Everybody knows Sister Jean and the fighting Loyola Ramblers went to the Final Four back in, in 18, 19, whenever it was. But it's just this, that's, that fact really reminds you that, yeah, the guys that we're used to seeing there every year, none of them are left standing at this point in the second round. Somebody didn't even make it there.
0: By the way, since this is a safe space, um, you know, you and I, we were the original Sister Jean bashers. Now it's a <laughs> so true bit more in vogue. Oh, I got dragged on Sunday. I don't know if you saw this. I basically said, like, Illinois has to come back and win this game because no, no one in America wants another week of Sister Jean being on TV more than Ryan Seacrest. And I, I would say probably 80 20% of the responses was like, you're a terrible human being. What are you talking about? Or you're an idiot. You're an a-hole. You're going to hell, whatever. I thought we were kind of more in the middle as a society on Sister Gene. I'll say I have come a little bit full circle on on her and Loyola. You know, I was kind of watching. Not me. Well, I I will say I think she steals the camera a little bit too much from the players and the coaches. But I'm not going to lie. When she was sitting there at the game on Sunday and her mask is like kind of pushing up her glasses, and I'm not even sure if she can see anything that's actually going on, I was kind of like, "All right, Grandma, we're cool. Like we're, we're fine." Like. I don't know. I still do think she does too many interviews. Personally, I'd like to see a little bit more uh, Cameron Krautwig and, and Porter Mosier on my TV and a little bit less of somebody that has nothing to do with the team. But uh, I I'm more in the middle, I guess, but I got dragged on Sunday because of sister Jean. So,
1: well, I mean, I, I just don't know what we can do with that angle that hasn't already been done. And I'm not kidding you. The fact that they made a final four, and the only person people big picture remember from the final four is her. That sucks for that team. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. Porter Moser probably doesn't necessarily walk into a bigger job because he actually had some losing seasons at Loyola before they went on that run. But like nobody even knew the coach's name unless you follow college basketball closely. And it's because of sister Jean. Now maybe it's not her fault. It is a weird story where a 100 uh, year old nun is kind of the team mascot essentially, it's not, and it's not her fault. She gets the camera shoved in her face. She's not arranging these, these um, press and media availabilities and all that, but I just, I'm telling you, I'll never forget the picture. I wasn't there, but whenever Loyola was in the regional final and they have the, you've been in, you've covered it in simply term where they got these stations where you have availability with players and there's two players, not a single person there talking to them. And you've got what seemed to be a hundred people crowded around this old lady. I would have hated that if I was a player and maybe that makes me selfish, but I don't think there's anything selfish about wanting the spotlight for being freaking Loyola and making a final four and nobody can name a player on that team
0: at all. Actually the guy that's playing, dude, I was at, I've told this story, I'm sure, but I was at that final four. And, uh, I think it was the Friday. Friday is usually when media availability is. And I get an email like late Thursday, that was like special, Sister Jean press conference eight AM, and I'm like, yo, I'm in San Antonio. I'm probably not going to bed till really late tonight. There is zero percent chance I'm getting up to ask her, you know, what a question. Like, I'm like, I am so good with this Sister Jean press availability. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, yeah. I, I, I'm glad that this is a safe space where I can discuss, I, I, like I said, I've come a little bit more full circle, but I'm telling you people watch this week. She is going to do a lot of interviews. You're going to see her in a lot more places than you see Porter Mosier and the players there. Speaking of Porter Mosier transition, last little topic I want to get your opinion on, you know, you and I were talking about this before. So the Indiana coaching job is open and I talked about it on the show. uh, I guess the day after Archie Miller was fired or two days after or whatever, And really kind of went down my whole list. And I'll give you my thoughts in a minute. But what I will tell you is two things. Um, I'm very intrigued as to what's going on from this perspective. In that Indiana, when they fired Archie Miller, paid him $10 million, I assume they automatically knew who their next guy was. Because why you pay him $10 million to go away if you don't know who you want? And that may still be the case. The person that they either want or uh, believe that they can get is still in the NCAA tournament. But this search is taking a lot of weird twists. You know, there was a report about Thad Mata accepting, but he couldn't do it health-wise. Mike Woodson's name is popping up. Um, Where are we at on Indiana? Because I think you and I talked before the show. Every time I say this, people, like, push back on me. But I still think Indiana is one of the great jobs. It's one of the great fan bases. And listen, I say it all the time. I'm old enough to remember when Kentucky could never be Kentucky again and then they got John Calipari, Kentucky fan will push pushback. Listen, Kentucky didn't go to a final four from 1998 until John Calipari arrived in year two in 2011. That's 13 years. It's about, you know, 19 or 18 or whatever it is for Indiana right now. So the point I'm trying to make is that there have been other jobs that it's like, they'll never be that good again. You're living in the past. And like, I don't think Indiana is one of them. So what are your thoughts on the job? But then also like what, like, what are they doing? Like, do they have a plan and the, the guy that they want is just still in the tournament. Do they not have a plan? What, 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 do you, what do you make of all this?
1: I don't think you have money from a booster or a donor, whoever, whatever they want to be called. I, they had $10 million from somebody to get rid of Archie. And then they had another 10 million roughly from a different person to find a new coach. I don't think somebody puts that money up without knowing who they're going to go after. And I know Brad Stevens was talked about. That clearly was never, I guess, a real possibility, but, I think Indiana needs I I think they probably have a coach in mind that they feel good about through, I guess, back channel people. I would say that could be, I don't know, maybe a Chris Beard or something. But they need to be careful because I think what happened this is where you get into if you if it starts leaking out that you know Thad Mata was a guy failed. I don't and I don't think I think that report has been shot down. But the fact that Thad Mata was a candidate and he's not going to be the coach because he failed a physical, if that's true, it's a bad look. I wouldn't go after Thad Mata unless you've taken a bigger swing. I don't think that and Thad is a hell of a coach, but I don't think that's what you need to give the program the jolt that it so desperately needs. If it's Mike Woodson, I'll never talk about Indiana again. I mean, that would I mean look, maybe, maybe he pulls a Jawan Howard and, and and it somehow works out and he's great. But that I mean, if that's a real candidate, then Indiana is in worse, worse shape than I than I realized. I think Porter Moser is a guy who obviously is worthy of consideration given what he's done. The clinic he put on as far as X's and O's against Illinois was adamant, even to those who don't follow basketball that closely. You could tell that guy had a scheme, knew what he was doing, took Illinois completely out of their comfort zone, but I'm not even sure if Moser, is a guy that gives you the jolt, that gives you some some relevance. I mean, I wouldn't know. Sister Jean's been hogging the mic from him for years. <laughs> Maybe he's got something deep down that he's ready to unleash, and he wants to run a program and be able to be the face of it. If you're the head coach at IU basketball, you're the most popular guy in that state. Hadn't seen that way in a long time because, not to do personal appearance, judge, but Archie Miller's not exactly the guy that, one, gives the the look of a guy that's confident, that wants to be there. He just has he has resting bitch face. No offense to Archie. Um, But I just feel like he was never, he never seemed like the guy that brings everything you need that have nothing to do with coaching. Coaching matters more than anything, but you also kind of have to, you have to kind of be a representative representative of the state. He never had that going for him. Tom Crean, I think checked the boxes for that kind of stuff, had a little personality kind of goofy, but he just didn't get it done. Indiana needs something to make them relevant. And I think if they could throw a crazy amount of money at Chris beard, I think he would come now. Maybe he wants to hold out for when Duke opens up or a Kansas or something like that because those are maybe better jobs, probably are better jobs. But I, I, I just think Indiana is one coach away from reminding people that they are, in fact, a h- huge program within this sport. The drought they've been on has been unreal, to be honest with you. I mean, the fact that it's been this long since they've been to a Final Four and the fact that it's been this long since they really mattered is, uh, is just something I, I never, I mean, I never thought I'd live to see but if they get the right guy, I think, and, and, and I think there's some good candidates out there. I think Chris Beard, Nate Oates, if they could get him, he seems pretty content in Alabama. Those are candidates that we're going to really learn where the Indiana job is because those guys are in really content, good situations, but I wouldn't be shocked if Indiana was able to land one of those two, but a lot of people say, why would they leave? Indiana's not what it once was. I think we're going to soon find out because once these seasons come to an end for certain coaches, then I think we'll have a better feel for which direction Indiana's going in. But I don't think you get a $10 million donation and go hire Mike Woodson.
0: Uh, fair. Couple, couple thoughts on a couple candidates. One, I've said it, Nate Oates isn't going to be the guy. It's a $12 million buyout at Alabama just to talk to him, just to negotiate a contract. And you have to probably pay him $5 million a year. I don't see them paying $22 million before they ever pay the new coach a, a dime. The Mike Woodson thing, man, I'm telling you, in theory, I get like, oh, Juwan Howard, he came from the NBA. Juwan Howard, first of all, I looked it up to make sure that I had my facts right. He's 14 years younger, so that matters. Juwan Howard still feels young. By the way, he's everything we thought Penny Hardaway. You and I spent so much time talking Penny Hardaway a few years ago. Juwan Howard is everything we thought Penny Hardaway was going to be. But here's the other thing. Juwan Howard – has a son that plays on the team. Juwan Howard has a son that was being recruited by big-time schools until he got the Michigan job. Juwan Howard knew how recruiting worked before he got there. He knew how uh, uh, program build, Like like he was around the college game. Mike Woodson, no disrespect, he's just an old dude that's looking for a job. And like, I don't blame him. I'd love to be in consideration for like a $4 million a year job if I was 62 years old. Stop comparing Mike Woodson to freaking juan howard it's not the same stratosphere um i had one other point i was gonna make but uh i chris beard you know listen we'll see what happens i i don't i'll say this about chris beard people forget he went from one d2 job to another then from that d2 job to little rock then from little rock to unlv and then he bounced out of UNLV after a week to Texas Tech. So I think there's Texas Tech fans who are like, he'll never leave. This is home. It's, he was an assistant here for 10 years. The you guy- just don't
1: know him if you think he'd up and leave, which is hilarious because you just laid out, the guy actually has been quick to move
0: on often. Exactly. And so that's, you know, we'll see. Um, but I, I agree. I think the job is better. Uh, one name. Why why are they not interested? Oh oh two things. Thad Mata. To me, he is now officially the Bob Stoops of college basketball. Like, every job opening in college football, it's like, oh, yeah, go get Bob Stoops. He's available. And it's like, Bob Stoops doesn't want to coach. And it's like, that mod is the same way. I've heard his name linked to literally every job the last, like, five years. And it's like, yo, he, I hate to say it. Health-wise, I don't think that he can hold up. And he wasn't that good toward the end of his, uh, of his reign anyway. Real quick. He's I falling apart. Yeah, he's falling apart. Uh, what do you think? Like, is it, is it just, he made a few final fours like 15 years ago. And that's that, I mean, that's the only reason why, like the obsession with Thad Mata is so bizarre to me. I don't get it. I think it just
1: comes down to the fact that when, when things were good, they were really good. He was consistent. Sure. They were never, they never fell off really under him. They made a tournament. They were they made they made final fours and of course got to the championship game. But even when they weren't there, they were always they always mattered in the big 10 and the fact that he's a guy who, lost a job essentially, but not because of lack of success. I think that's sure. why he's still at this point regarded as a guy that people are going to throw out there. Um, but I, 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 it seems like the John Beeline stuff's died down, which kind of surprises me a little bit. I I really thought that that could, I think if there was some truth to that, that would already be in the works right now. The fact that this job's been open this long and you're hearing less about his name, the more this track is out, I think is that either he wasn't interested or they just didn't see him as a candidate, which I don't know why. He is, he, when he left the college game to go to the NBA, there was nobody more consistently good at the top of college basketball that people talked about less than, than John line.
0: I'll just say this and we'll wrap. I know you got to run. Like, I don't understand the lack of interest in John B. Like maybe he just doesn't want to coach. I don't get that sense. I'm told he wants to bring his son with him as an assistant. I don't know if there's any weird laws that would disallow that, but it's like, but I have two things. One, Indiana fans are like, uh, he's 68 years old. It's like, yeah, Jim Bayheim's 74 and just made the sweet 16. You're going to get five years out of John B line. And by the way, the team that Archie Miller had this year, John Beeline will get that team to the tournament by this time next year. So that's one. And two, like, I I just, I don't understand. I I don't understand the lack of interest in him from the fan base or maybe he's just not interested in the job, but that's the one that jumps out to me of like, we all agreed. He's like the best actual basketball coach in this sport. Why would you not want him?
1: Yeah, that would be, I mean, if Indiana laughs off John Beeline and they go and hire mike woodson because they think he could be Juwan howard they will have proven everybody correct who has mocked them and laughed at them that they're inept that would be like we couldn't defend them at all anymore if that's the route they would take because you won't find a better i mean and he's available he's not coaching now but i just i still i think if there was more to that we would have heard some traction and I, i in fact i'm hearing less about him the more this thing plays out I agree.
0: All right. I'll let you roll, man. Nick Coffee, 790 KRD in Louisville. You can hear him 7 to 10 Eastern uh, anything big coming up or, or are you officially in the weeds of the off season here?
1: Oh man, I cannot wait for once the final four is over. The transfer market is going to be like something we've never seen. There will yes. be programs out there that don't even recruit high school kids anymore. That will be how they build their roster. And it's going to be crazy. Coaches are going to be complaining. It's going to be tough to keep up with, but it's also going to make college basketball, I think, a bigger talking point throughout the year, which you know I'm a fan of. So that's kind of what's next for me. I'm, I'm, I've am I'm been saying it for the last week or so. Chris Mack and whoever ends up on his staff, don't fill these spots right now. Just wait, because there are guys playing right now. There's guys playing in the final four that you will scratch your head and say, why is, why is he leaving? And it's because these guys can. They can go wherever they want, not sit out they are going to be players who you would have never would have ever dreamed would consider another school. And they're just going to, and look some players from these bigger programs, like a Louisville or Kentucky, they're probably going to lose guys because they simply now know they can go wherever and some will get better from it. Some will suffer. I hope the program I cover Louisville is the one that benefits from it, but no, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to an active off season in college hoops.
0: I'll tell you this. I, I follow it probably a little bit closer than most and you do too, frankly, I think there's already On March 23rd, as we record here, more like really good players in the portal than there have been in entire off seasons like two, three, four years ago. I mean, you look at right now, Justin Powell from Auburn, Walker Kessler from North Carolina, Marcus Carr from Minnesota. We'll see if he ends up actually staying or just trying to go pro. Fats Russell from Rhode Island. Kellen Grady from Davidson. Like those are all guys that are like really, really, really good. Could play for anybody. What's that? Could play for anybody. Could play and, like, like not, like, could step on the floor. Like, could be, a, like, a really important piece for anybody. So, I'm excited as well. And you're right. It's going to take off. And, and you know, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it. But you're right. As this season ends, there's going to be even more big names. I think it's going to shock people. It's going to be a lot of fun. Nick Coffee, 790KRD, Louisville. Appreciate your time, my man. Thanks, brother.